We, uh, we have an awesome praise team, don't we? Thank you all so much. Great, great time of worship this morning. I want to welcome you um, to Community Heights here in person. And if you're joining us online or listening, welcome to you too. Uh, we're going to be beginning a new series today uh, called The Sermon on the Mount. And most of us are familiar with this. Some of you are familiar with this, I guess I should say. Should say. And uh, this can be found in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's chapters 5 through 7. And, you know, you all think I, I preach long? Uh, this is uh, one sermon by Jesus, right? And it's long. As a matter of fact, if you have a red-letter Bible, chapters 5, 6, and 7, it's all red. And so, very, very uh, important teaching from him Many people, and Chad reminded me that many people say that this is the best sermon ever. I'm like, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to make the best sermon ever sound worse. You know what I mean? Um, I could just get up here and read what Jesus preached, and it would be good, right? That I would be reading the best sermon ever preached, and basically that's what we'll be doing. But, uh, you know, we'll talk uh, a little in between. We finished a series, our Easter series was, was called Cancel culture, um, what Jesus taught in this sermon is counterculture. It's so different than what the world teaches us. It's so different than what we, we hear. It may be even different than what you think today. Um, and in this series, we will all be challenged, that's for sure. And this is called the Sermon on the Mount because it's on a mountain is where it takes place. And we're surrounded by beautiful mountains in southwest Virginia. It's not hard to picture, you know, this taking place for us. Um, but I want you to think uh, about Moses when, when, you know, you think of Jesus speaking on the mount. Because in the Old Testament, you know, God spoke to his people, gave his people the Ten Commandments, right? The moral code, the law, the righteous behavior of how God wants people to, to, to act on, in this world on, on a mountain, right? And so Jesus is very intentional here about delivering some truths, very important truths from God on a, on a mountainside. You know, I used to think that the Sermon on the Mount, when I was a kid, I thought it was called the Sermon on the Mound, right? Anybody think of it that way? Or maybe you got kids that call it the Sermon on the Mound. Um, it, it's funny, you know, even though I was wrong, I got to thinking, that's probably a good way to reference and to think about what Jesus was doing. Um, I was a pitcher in, in high school when I, when I played baseball. And, you know, I had frequent mound visits from the coach, right? And the coach would come out and, and talk. And usually what happens there, right? You know, maybe you're struggling a little bit. Maybe you're walking a few guys. Maybe you look tired. Maybe you're not focused and the coach comes out and maybe cusses you out, right? Or, or maybe just gives you some encouragement. But, you know, depends on who the coach is. Um, you know, but sometimes, though, sometimes... You could be doing everything right. Like, you're, you're striking out batters left and right. You're throwing some heat. You're accurate. And, you you know, and then all of a sudden, time out, and you see the coach coming out, and you're like, what do I do? Right? Is he taking me out? No way. Um, sometimes, though, the coach comes out and, and, and knows the next batter, right, and, and knows his history, knows how he hits, knows his batting average on on low fastballs is really high, and he's like, hey, you know, look, I just want to let you know this guy, this guy likes him low. Throw some high heat. Throw some high heat. You, you see there? 
um, sometimes those visits are not necessarily to correct behavior, but to prepare you for something that you're going to face. And that is exactly what Jesus did in this teaching. You know, maybe some people there needed to have some correction in their lives. Or maybe some, you know, were, were okay, but, but God, Jesus knew that they needed some, some truth because they would be facing some things coming, coming up. Neat way to think about this. Why did Jesus do this? Why did, he, why did he go on a mountainside and teach? Well, in the previous chapter in Matthew 4, um, this isn't on the screen, but uh, we read this. Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. All right? So this is what Jesus has, has been doing, healing every disease, doing miracles. If somebody like that rolls into town, what's going to happen? Right? Lots, lots of people, big crowds are going to be following him, and that's just, that's just what happened here. And so that's where we pick up. And, um, you know, Jesus was thinking that, you know, this is not what I'm all about. You know, this, these, these miracles, these healings, yeah, th- this is what I do, but it's not all that I do. And I don't want you to get just this, right? I want to teach you some very important things that, that you need to learn. And so he, he pulled away from that, and that's where we find verse 1 in chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowd, saw all these people sort of following him around, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to to teach them and teach there. I mean, we got a lot of teachers, and um, you know, you want to communicate information. Imagine being taught by God. Can can you imagine that? You know, God. Uh, Jesus is God in the flesh, right? And it says Jesus Jesus sat down. You know, we got a lot of teachers here. In, in, in your classrooms, you probably stand up. In this culture, teachers sat down. They, they sat down, and Jesus is on this mountainside, and he, he sits down. Imagine being taught by God. Hey, hey you know, Zach, I've got some things I want to share with you. Wow. And he, he begins to teach them in chapters 5 through 7, comprise of this, of this teaching from Jesus, the, the best teacher, the best preacher ever. And what we're going to talk about today is really an introduction to this sermon, and it's the section on the Beatitudes. And most of you are familiar with that, right? The, the blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the, the meek, blessed are those who, who mourn, and, and all that. We, we are sort of familiar with those um, Beatitude is the Latin word that means blessing, means blessing. Well, blessing means something a little different, okay? Uh, the, the word is actually blessed, uh, okay? Blessed, it's, it's like two syllables. It sounds weird to us, doesn't it? So I'm just going to say blessed. Is that all right? Um, so, so that we're all okay and we can all understand it together. But... <clears throat> It is the translation of the Greek word makarios. It's a, it's a strange word, isn't it? But you know what it means? Happy. Happy. So when you read that word blessed in the Beatitudes, the literal translation is happy. Happiness. And, and God's definition of happiness and the world's definition of happiness is so different that in order to, to, for us to understand it, they had to put blessed in there instead of happy. 
because it wouldn't make sense, right? Happy. I want to ask you this question, or I want you to think about this, because you've probably already thought about this. How can I find happiness? How can I find happiness? Isn't that what everybody thinks about? Isn't that what the world pursues? Isn't that the chase that everybody is is on? Um, you know, if, if you were to Google, I know at one time this was the most popular topic ever. If you were to Google how to be and then just stop, the autofill suggestions, the top suggestion would be happy. That's how popular it is. That's how, that's how many people are searching for it, looking for it, trying to find answers. And if we were to... If we were to do the Beatitudes in today's time, they might sound something like this. Blessed are the beautiful, for they shall be admired. Blessed are the wealthy, for they shall have it all. Blessed are the popular, for they shall be loved. Blessed are the famous, for they will be followed. Blessed are the comfortable, for they will not have any problems. Those are the attitudes of our time today. But here's the thing. True happiness, true happiness can only be given by God. It can only be, it can only be given by God. It's not something that you necessarily can achieve on your own or ever find on your own, right? It, it, can, only be, it can only be given from God's side to you. You might find some things that make you happy temporarily or give you a little bit of happiness, but true happiness, fulfilling happiness, lasting happiness, blessedness, makarios type of happiness from can only be given from God. And so Jesus is on this mountainside. He said, you want, you want to know what God-given happiness, true happiness looks like? I'm about to teach you. Okay? Now, um, I want, there's eight of these things, and instead of asking you or expecting us to sort of memorize all eight, I divided them into three areas. I think we can handle that a little bit better. But I want you to notice how these sort of build on, on one another. Okay, so we'll talk about three areas of how to be happy according to Jesus. The first one is this. Blessed or happy are those who are humble. Humble. So happiness can be found if through humility. Through, through being humble. And we know what humility is, sort of. It's the opposite of, of pride. And Jesus goes on to explain some things that involve humility. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So get this. In order to be happy, you need to be poor. In order to be rich, right? In order to be rich, you need to be poor. Does that make any sense to anybody? Right, you see how counter it is? You see how backwards and upside down and uh, Jesus is teaching here? In order to, to be in the kingdom, right, and, and experience the, the wealth and the riches of the kingdom, you need to be poor. What's he talking about? Well, he says poor in spirit there. This is the person that through humility, you see, being humble, they realize, hey, I'm, I am in need. I'm needy. I'm very poor. Uh, actually, I'm broke. I'm, I'm spiritually, I, I have nothing. 
I'm bankrupt here. And, man, I, I am needy. I'm a needy person, and my greatest need is God Almighty. Like, I, I need God in my life. You know what the prideful person says? I don't need God. I'm good. I'm strong. I know everything. Right? No. The poor in spirit is the, is the person that, God, I, I know that I need you. And this is true among those who are saved, right? When, when you become saved, what that means is when you feel God sort of drawing you and you give your life to the Lord, there's this process. I don't really know how to explain it, but there's a process where you start realizing, God, I need you. And he's drawing you and you're moving closer to him and there comes a point when you give your life to him, right? But here's the thing. It also includes those who have already given their life to the Lord, Christians, Look, you never graduate from needing God. You need him today. I need him today. You'll need him tomorrow. I'll need him tomorrow. Blessed are the poor in spirit that, that realize their need for, need for God. It's only when we, it, you see, it's only when we empty ourselves that God blesses us with, with true riches of his kingdom. There's a story in the Old Testament um, of Elisha. You remember him? He's a he's a Old Testament prophet, and uh, of Israel. And there was a guy named Naaman, and Naaman was a general in the Syrian army. Okay, so Syria and Israel enemies, right? Um, Naaman was was a general in the Syrian army, famous general, power, powerful general, very very popular. But he also had leprosy. He had a very 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 bad case of leprosy. But he heard through the grapevine about a prophet in Israel that could heal. He heard about a God that healed people through a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went to Israel expecting healing, looking for healing. And so he met with Elisha, got up with Elisha. And, and Elisha said, you, you go dunk yourself in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. Naaman said, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to Israel or seen pictures, but the Jordan River is not pretty. Like, it's muddy. It's not like the clinch, you know, sort of cl clear and all that. It's muddy. It's murky. And, and he said, go do that seven times, and you'll be healed. And he said, you're crazy. I'm not getting in there. He, he said, why wouldn't I do it in Syria? He said, all of our rivers are more pretty than this one. We've got, we've got amazing, spectacular, beautiful rivers in Syria. Why can't I do it there? You see, what do you have? Pride. Pride there. And you know what? He also didn't want people to see him as a leper. It says that he, he always covered himself in armor, always, always was covered. He was very, very prideful. He didn't want to take his armor off and expose himself and, and for people to see his, his leprosy. He went away. He said no. His guys, though, his army, though, talked him, talked him out of it. He said, go back, return. He went back to the Jordan River, dunked himself seven times, came up out of the water, healed, healed. What did he have to do first? Become poor in spirit. He had to get rid of, get rid of him to allow God to bless him, 
right, to heal him. If, if you want to be blessed by God, you, you and I, we have to see our need for him. It's, it's only when you become poor that God blesses you with, with the riches that only he can provide. Next, Jesus goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Okay, Jesus, what you're saying now really does not make sense. In order to be happy, you've got to be sad. Does that make sense to anybody? Right? No, it, it really doesn't. Um, I will say this, though. Mourning is a little, little different than sadness here. Mourning is more than just a feeling. Mourning is an intentional, intentional state of grief. Like if you read in the Bible, and some cultures are still like this today, there's a, there's a period of mourning where you enter and you exit, right? It's, you do things, there's certain customs that you do, but it's all intentional. And uh, you might feel sad afterwards still, right? But, but there's a process of mourning. And look, um, we know the Bible promises, God promises that one day sadness will be over. Amen? One day for the believer you know, we will never experience sadness again, and I'm looking forward to that day. But Jesus is talking something a little different here. He's talking about grieving, about mourning over sin, over sin. You know, Jesus is saying, see the brokenness of the world. Man, I just spend a couple minutes looking at the headlines, and I mourn. It, it, it grieves my heart reading some of these stories reading some of these headlines, these tragedies that take place, Re- reading some of these decisions that people are making, that our government's making, that I'm like, what is going on, right? Jesus, when he, on his approach to Jerusalem, the Holy Week, when he was coming to Jerusalem, he saw it from a distance, and he mourned. He grieved over what they had become because they could have been so much more. They could have been all that God wanted them to be, but they were not. And so Jesus grieved. He mourned over sin. But you know what? It's not just mourning over the sin of the world. It's mourning over your sin, your own sin. That's where it gets hard. Man, if you, if you get to a place where sin doesn't bother you, your sin, you're, you're not in a good place. Like if you can just go on, go on, and go on, and keep, keep kind of living in, in that sin, you won't be happy at all. You'll be miserable. Um, David, you know, we know all about David. And it's interesting that he is more known for his failure than he is for the things he did well, right? We talk a lot about his failure. But he says this in Psalm fifty-one seventeen. This isn't on the screen either, but just, just listen. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. You know, God does want us to be happy, um, but God wants our hearts to break over sin. Why is that? Well, yeah, I mean, his son died for it. Jesus died because of sin, right, is one reason, but, but because of this too, so that we can experience true grace you never really get to experience grace unless you feel the weight of sin you never get to experience God sort of lifting that from you until you know how heavy it is 
David said this in Psalm 32, verse 1. Listen to this. Blessed, okay? Same word. Makarios, blessed is the one who, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one who, whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, David said, and we know the backstory a little bit about David. He tried to hide it for a little while, didn't he? He tried to cover it up. He tried to keep it away from people. And as he did that, he was miserable. Miserable. He felt terrible. He said, I was wasting away, right? But it was only when he, when he confessed, when he owned up to it, when he grieved and when he mourned, that's when everything changed for him. That's when he experienced forgiveness. That's when he experienced grace. And that's when he experienced comfort. The type of comfort that only God can give. You know what that, you know what that word comfort literally means? come alongside come alongside so picture this we all sin don't we god wants us to mourn over that wants us to feel that doesn't want us to try to hide it he wants us to repent come to him so that he can shower us with with grace and forgiveness and then what he does is he comes alongside of you he doesn't kick you out doesn't take you out of the game doesn't put you to the side right doesn't put you in timeout he gets in there with you, comes alongside of you. That's, that's why you're blessed. That's why you're happy, because you've got him coming alongside of you. You know, we all sin. God wants us to mourn over that so we can experience his grace and to move on to a better life, a life that he wants for us. He also says this, Jesus said this in verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, you know, what, is, what does that mean? It's a weird word we don't use very often. It's a form of humility, for sure, but it means bridled power. It means, it means harnessed power. It, it's power under control. That's what, that's what meekness means. It's like a horse, a, a wild horse that is tamed, right? These, these big, strong, you know, unrideable horses, um, Meekness means it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those that are so powerful, so wild, that becomes tame. You know, I can't think of a better example of meekness than Jesus. Think about that. Jesus, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, who could have came and appeared and with one word destroyed the entire earth. You, go, you read in Revelation, that's what he does with just, just some words. And Jesus shows up and, and sort of becomes meek. And that, that, all that power is, is sort of, you know, controlled in a way. And he dies on a cross. I mean, that, what a perfect example of, of meekness to, for, him to, for God to suffer and to put up with that stuff. And to be patient and, and to just go on and, and do what he did out of love. That's, that's meekness. You know, Rome occupied Jerusalem. And so forever these, these people, the Jews, looked for a Messiah that would come and free them from, from Rome. That would come and conquer. That would come and through force and through, through battle that would, would eradicate Rome, right? 
and they see Jesus and they're like, what? This is not the right guy. You see, the world looked at Jesus and they see weakness. But you know what God sees? The strongest man that ever lived. Meekness isn't weakness, it's actually strength that is harnessed, that is controlled. Meekness means that you exhibit self-control, but it also means that you balance self-control with God control, right? Some of us need to work on just self-control. Maybe your mouth, maybe your actions, maybe your impulsiveness. Some of us need to work on that stuff. But a lot of us, all of us need to work on God control, like we need to allow God to, to control our lives. We, we are yielding. We are being meek, and we're yielding God to God uh, in our lives. We're, we're giving him control. What does that take? Faith. It takes trust. Did you know even the most tame horse will not allow a person to ride it if there's not trust? Got to be trust involved. Many times we struggle with with self-control, with emotions and things like that. That will definitely lead to unhappiness. But almost all of us struggle with completely trusting in God. Here's a promise from Jesus. The more that you allow God to take the reins in your life and to lead you in in your, your surrendering through meekness, through humility to him, the happier you will be. That's a promise from Jesus. Well, the next section, we've talked about humility. Jesus also says, blessed are those who are righteous, who are righteous. Now, what I mean by this is even though no one is perfect, right, you try to be. I don't know how else to explain it, but you try to to live the way God wants you to live. You try to be like Christ the best way you can, how you can. I mean, you put forth an effort. we try to live holy lives. This is easy, easy to remember. A holy person is a happy person. Okay? A holy person is a happy person. Now, I'm not talking about a holier-than-thou person, right? A fake person, an artificial person, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about hypocrite-type holy stuff. I'm talking about a legitimate person that says, God, I want in my life what you want in my life. And I'm going to do the things that you want to do. I'm going to try. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot, and I'm going to keep giving it a shot each and every day. A holy person is a happy person. He says this, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is someone who craves, longs, thirsts, starves, seeks, fellowship with God, right? Happiness does does not and cannot, true happiness, genuine happiness cannot happen apart from God. This is the person that realizes that. Um, We had men's breakfast yesterday, and it was awesome. So good. Uh, And you know what I do? Um, I intentionally don't eat late the night before. And I don't eat, you know, I definitely don't eat that morning before breakfast. <laughs> I, I purposely go hungry so that I can go in that morning 
and enjoy a feast. You know what I'm talking about? The biscuit and the gravy and the biscuit and gravy coma that I had for a couple of hours after that. It was awesome. You know, but I listen, I purposely went hungry so that I can experience that goodness and that satisfaction and that feeling. Um, here's a way, way obvious statement, okay? It's going to sound so stupid to you, but it's, it might go over your head. You will never eat if you're not hungry. Let that sink in a minute. You will never eat if you're not hungry. You know, you ever tried Slim Fast? Their big thing is, hey, we'll curb your appetite. Right? That's good from the world perspective, right? Curb your appetite, hey, I don't want to eat. But with God, are you really going to tell me you don't want to eat of that? When God is saying, hey, you come and you feast on me, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm the living water. You come and you feast on me. When there's an open invitation to that table, you mean to tell me you're going to curb your appetite and you're going to go on a salad diet? But I'll just take a salad with light ranch. No. God says, feast on me and you will be filled. I will fill you. Man. Um, I love Rocky movies. There's a lot of theology in Rocky movies. Uh, Rocky Three is really good. That's probably the least famous one, but I like it because it's got Mr. T in it. Um, but Rocky actually lost in that. Rocky Rocky loses to Mr. T. Clubber Lang is his ro- name in Rocky. Okay, um, he lost. And I remembered this conversation that Apollo Creed had with Rocky afterwards, after he lost, because you remember Rocky beat Apollo Creed. He beat him, and after. After Rocky lost to Clubber Lang, Apollo went up and said, Hey, Rock, what happened? Stallion, what happened? He said, When you fought me, you was hungry. When we fought, you were hungry, and you whooped me, right? He said, Rock, you've lost your hunger. You know what you need? The eye of the tiger, right? Woo, anybody remember that song? Some of you get pumped up and still work out to it, right? That's where that came from, that conversation. Apollo Creed said, Rock, Stallion, you were hungry once, you lost it, you got your butt whipped, you need the eye of the tiger, get back up, and then he did. And some of you this morning, could it be that you've lost your hunger for God? You just, you know, lost that. Just not been there. And you wonder why your life's just kind of like, uh, or you're unhappy. And when you go to God in, in, in hunger and thirst, he's going to fill you. He's going to satisfy you. Jesus goes on to say this, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is another characteristic of being righteous because didn't God show you mercy through Jesus? You know what mercy means? All right, the, the foundational definition for mercy is this. It is, it is 
withholding punishment to someone that deserves to be punished. That's literally what it means. Like, okay, somebody is guilty, definitely guilty, without a shadow of a doubt guilty, all right, and, and they should be punished with this, and we're going to withhold that. That is mercy. And, and isn't that what God did to you, to all of us who sinned, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God? And sent, God sent, we were, we were deserving of punishment of death, and he, God sent Jesus to us, and he showed us mercy. Jesus is saying, look, you'll be happy if you are merciful. I thought of Joseph in the Old Testament. You know, Joseph, uh, we're familiar with this story. He was sold into slavery as a boy by his brothers. By his brothers. Sold into slavery in Egypt. Wow. Well, many years later, Joseph went on to become the most powerful man in all of Egypt, right? And you, you fast forward to the end of the story, and what many of us don't realize is there was severe famine in all of the world except for Egypt. There was severe famine in Jerusalem, in Israel, in that area of Palestine. There was severe famine, and Joseph's own brothers were starving. They went seeking. They went looking. They went to Egypt because that's where all the food was. They had no idea Joseph had become so powerful and so great. Well, they, they met with Joseph. They did not recognize him but he recognized them. He could have laid the hammer down. He could have rejected them. He could have sent them packing. He showed them mercy instead. He said, what you meant for harm, for evil, God meant for good. And he blessed them. You know, not only did he not, like, kick them out, but he, he blessed them. And here's a story that most of us don't really realize, is that Israel wasn't even Israel at the time. It wasn't even really like a nation yet. And so what Joseph did was, not only did he save the life of his own family, he saved Israel. He preserved the nation of Israel. And through that came Jesus. And so by doing that, Joseph's one decision to show mercy affected you and me. All the world. You, sh you show one person mercy, who knows what God will do with that. Now, I'm not saying, you know, at work, right, if you're a boss, somebody steals, and, you know, you've got rules and stuff like that. Oh, we're just going to let you go. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you use those times, those moments, where you can show mercy to somebody in a genuine way, do that, and you'll be happy. God, God will give you happiness that you won't find anywhere else in this world. Verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, we've talked about mourning over sin. But if your heart doesn't change, man, you could find yourself right back into it. I'm just speaking from experience. <laughs> it's bad when you say I'm experienced. I'm an experienced sinner. Right? But, like, sin can make you feel bad. You can mourn over it, right? But if this on the inside doesn't change, you will be mourning for a long time. You'll be a man of constant sorrow, like the soggy bottom brothers or boys or whatever, right? That song. You'll spend so much time grieving and more. You will be miserable for a long time. I want you to remember this. Purity leads to clarity. Purity leads to clarity. 
you know, um, I just, for some reason, I just started developing allergies over the past couple of years. It's been really weird. And so this time of the year, it just jacks me up. And the other morning, I got out in my car, and I noticed my windshield was like yellow-green. What, what is this? And I turned on the wiper, and it just blowing everywhere. And, you know, I could not see at all outside of my windshield. What did I have to do? I had to clear that off. I had to use my fluid and get it all cleared so that I can see. You know, those of you that wear glasses, how's it been wearing glasses and a mask? <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, and, <laughs> you know, everything fogs up. What do you have to do with that? I mean, you either wait till it kind of clears up or you, ru- or you, you know, you do. S- My point is, sometimes you can't see. and Sometimes you need to clear what's obstructing your view. Look, you might be wondering, God, where are you in my life? God, I don't hear you right now. God, what's your will for me? God, you feel sort of distant. Could it be that you need to clean your windshield so that you can see God? What I'm talking about is your heart. Your heart. Pureness. Look, the more, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? Not judging you in any way. I'm in this group with you. But the more your heart is free from sin, free from lust, free from greed, free from idolatry, right, putting putting things before God, the more your heart is free from materialism and things of this world, I promise you, because Jesus promise you, promises you, the more happy that you will be. Pureness allows you to see God, see his will for your life. We all need that. Last thing, I want to close with this. The last area is blessed are those who are kingdom-minded. Kingdom-minded. Explain to you what I mean by this. Is these are the people who who know, right? Who know that this life isn't the only life. These are the people who who know that this place is not their home. These are the people who know that hey, I'm an alien in this world. I'm a legal alien, but I'm still an alien here in this world. I'm just passing through. I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. Like, this is a tent for me. This is a temporary dwelling place. I know that. These are the people that, that are kingdom-minded to the point that it just affects the way they think and what they do. It's those, we talked about the glasses, it's those who see the present through an eternal lens. Jesus says, blessed are those, happy are those type of people. He says this in verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Notice this is peacemakers, not peacekeepers. You see, peacekeepers assumes that peace is kind of there, and and you're just sort of maintaining it. No, Jesus said peacemakers. Like, your job is to make peace where peace does not exist. Right? You strive for unity. You, you labor for peace. You make peace a reality in this world. And here's what we all know. This is not a peaceful world. This is a very hostile world, as a matter of fact. But what Jesus is saying here is, 
God will make you happy. God will bring your life happiness if you make peace in this hostile world. Why is that? Well, Jesus came to bring peace, didn't he? As a matter of fact, the Bible refers to him as the Prince of Peace. You know, um, Jesus said this a lot, and he said it to Pilate at, near the end before he was crucified. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He, he was kingdom-minded, you see. He, and he came, to, he came to reveal his kingdom. He came to show his kingdom. He came to show people that, hey, my kingdom is different. You, you want to come here. You want to be in my kingdom. It's different. It's not hostile. It's peaceful. This is where you want to be for the rest of your life. I promise you. That's what he came to show. And his kingdom is marked by peace. Imagine a peaceful kingdom, a peaceful nation, a peaceful war. Imagine that. That is where Jesus came from. That is his place. He wants that to be your place. And he wants you to live like you're going to that place. He wants you to show that place to others too. Are you a peacemaker? Peacemakers live with a different perspective because they belong to a kingdom of peace. Like that, that is where your kingdom is. That's, that's where you're from. That's your hometown, right? That's where you're going. That's your eternal home one day. Hey, you belong to a different family, and your family is all about peace. Like my God, my Father, my Father loves peace. He, he makes peace. And, and I'm going to represent my Father and my family very well in this world, and I'm going to be a peace maker you know what it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to make conflict any anybody can make my kids make conflict right anybody could do that it takes hard work intentionality effort to make peace but it's what honors god and look god promises a blessing upon those who do that. God promises happiness on those who are peacemakers. He says this in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This literally means you're persecuted because of your behavior. So we talked about righteous behavior, right longing and thirsting for God and doing the things that God wants. Jesus is saying, look, blessed are you when difficult things start to happen to you because of that. Why is that? Well, if you think about it, if happiness is found in righteousness and you're happy and the world isn't, they're not going to like that too much because they're looking for it. And they're trying to figure out what's going on here. Like, you're happy and I'm not. Something's wrong. I don't like you. Right? Jesus is saying this. When bad things happen to you, you can you can still consider yourself blessed and you can still be happy because what you have to look forward to, what you will eventually have in your life, far outweighs anything that you'll experience negative here and now, by far. Paul says something like um, momentary light affliction. And it, it doesn't even compare to what the future holds in glory. And that glory far outweighs even the worst affliction of this world, right? That's kingdom-minded. That, that is kingdom-minded. He says this in verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of 
me. That's Jesus talking because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Jesus is saying, blessed are you if you encounter difficulty and you lose something for my name, because of me, for me. I'm really convicted by that. I just got to be honest with you. I don't know if I've lost a whole lot because of Jesus or for Jesus or in his name. I immediately thought of Peter and John. Remember we talked about cancel culture last week and how they tried to cancel, cancel the gospel message and how Peter and John, you know, got arrested and all this stuff. You know, they were arrested several times. One time they were arrested and it says they were beaten. It actually says they were flogged. It uses that term. And Jesus was flogged. A lot of people died just from the flogging. Peter and John were flogged all because they used the name of Jesus. So they flogged them, then they let them go. You know what it says Peter and John did? Rejoiced. Celebrated. They went. They probably could barely walk, but they probably jumped up and did an ankle clap, right? A heel clap. That's how, that's how happy they were. They rejoiced, and it says this, because they were able to suffer for the name of Jesus. I don't know what that is, right? There's some kind of blessing there that, that's from God that I have not fully experienced yet. But that makes us ask, that beckons us to consider, what are we actually losing for the name of Jesus? Anything? Right? Look, I got to be honest with you. You may lose some, you may lose some popularity. You may lose some friends. You may lose a job. You may, you may lose a spouse. I don't know. The point is, God wants us to proclaim the name of his son. He, he literally wants us to use the name of Jesus in our conversations. There's power in it. There's salvation in it. Our lives, we need to be kingdom-minded because Jesus said, my kingdom is, is here, and, and my kingdom is coming, and my kingdom is eternal. And, and that's how we need to think, and that's how we need to be, and that's how we need to talk. And God says, blessed are you if you do this. Wow. Rejoice and be glad. Are you happy today? Are you happy? And true happiness can only be found in God. True happiness can only be given by God. And what Jesus taught us today is how to be happy. I pray that, that we would just put some of this stuff into practice in our life. Because God does want you to be happy. A lot of times, though, it's different than what we hear. So we need God to help us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for today and this message, your message, the greatest sermon ever taught. Um, Father, just help us to see that you desire for us to be happy, but the world teaches that happiness is so different. Help us to long for true happiness given from you. Help us to be humble so that we can see our need for you. 
Help us to be righteous and long to have a relationship with you and a daily relationship, just a living relationship. Father, help us to be kingdom-minded and to realize that this place is not our home. And you've got a purpose for us and a plan for us here. The most important thing that we can do is to proclaim and represent the name of your son, Jesus Christ, in this world. That's what you want us to do. Father, forgive us when we fall. Forgive us when we make decisions and mistakes and choices that grieve you. Father, help us to just realize that you want us to see the gravity of sin, not so we feel bad, but just so that we can experience the goodness and the refreshingness and the love of your grace. We thank you for showing us grace upon grace upon grace. I pray for the person this morning who is just feeling you, draw them to you. That through your spirit, you're calling them, you're beckoning them, you're being that still, small voice. I pray that that person would see their need for you and that you are not just the answer to happiness, but the answer to life. The, the remedy to sin and death is only found in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that that person would, would give their life to you this morning, that they would believe in Jesus. Father, just strengthen us each and every day because we need you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.